0: Hello and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I picked up our Wednesday night theme on Sunday night. And uh, we we were talking last week at the end of, of the session, we were talking about a believers meeting. And, or mention it at least, and then on Sunday night we picked it up and we talked about a believer's meeting. You said, well, what is a believer's meeting? Uh, aren't, all me- all, aren't all meetings believer's meetings? Well, in one sense they are, but uh, there are different kinds of meetings uh, uh, illustrated in the New Testament. The church, when it assembled together, didn't assemble together and have the same kind of services all the time. And that's exactly what the modern church does. The modern church uh, has uh, one kind of service and they try to fit as many different things as they can into that one service. And because of that, no, no service ever really accomplishes what uh, the, the will of the Spirit is because, again, they're trying to put too much into it. We saw from the Bible that the early church, when they met together, they met together sometimes just to pray. And that's all they did was pray. There's not any, not any evidence that anything happened outside of prayer. They just prayed. It wasn't a run and shout and dancing service. It wasn't a prophesying service. No gifts of the Spirit didn't operate. It was just a prayer service. And, and then there were times when they met just to worship the Lord. They, they came together to minister to the Lord. And uh, again, they didn't try to do other things. And so they had uh, uh, teaching meetings where they got together and the, and the uh, purpose of the meeting was to teach. It wasn't to uh, uh, worship the Lord, it was to teach. And of course, you know, we, it's always in order to worship God and to be thankful. So on Wednesday nights, this is a teaching meeting. And we have, you know, about 10 minutes of, of praise and worship in the, in the beginning because generally speaking, it's always good to praise God. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean you should have necessarily a worship service, praise service, where that's the, the purpose and the, and, the, and the main goal and that's what you're after. You, you don't have to have that all the time. You shouldn't have it all the time. There are times when uh, it's good to have teaching like tonight. There are evangelistic services. There, there are just di- these different kinds. Well, a believer's meeting. What kind of a, a, a service of, is that? It's, a, it's a, a meeting where only the believers are present and now you might say, well, that, that's generally true all the time. Yeah, it, it, it generally is true because even in the New Testament church, uh, we don't see uh, evidence that people came from the outside very much and visited the church. Most of the evangelism that took place in reaching the lost was done outside the church meeting. And uh, so evangelistic meetings like we have today in, in a lot of churches uh, is really a, a fairly recent Invention or, or uh, evolution of, of the way things are done. Uh, when the church had evangelistic services, they were in the public arena. At, for instance, at, uh, under Solomon's porch on the temple, and thousands of Jews would be gathered around and, and, and uh, the gospel would be preached. Or when Paul was on Mars Hill, you know, and, and greeting and uh, intermingling with all the philosophers there, you know, in Athens, and he began to preach the gospel to them, it was in a very public setting. And uh, uh, like I said, times they they met together just to pray. Uh, And there wasn't anybody there but them. Uh, The the thing that makes uh, a believer's meeting unique, the thing that characterizes it, is it's not just a meeting where no one else is present. uh, Because someone that is unsaved or uh, unlearned in spiritual things might come in any time. And of course, you know, our services are open. We want people to visit us. That's, that's fine. They may or they may not be there. But it's a service geared for us to edify the church and to allow the Spirit of God to move. And so the, the Spirit of God uh, will move in, such, in a in time like that more frequently and, and more freely and, and in ways maybe that he wouldn't move during other times of services. I know uh, some people, you know, have meetings. They call them prayer meetings, and they don't pray now in the church that i came out of the prayer prayer meeting was really basically like any other meeting we uh uh it started out as a prayer meeting probably years and years and years ago but in our denomination it sort of uh uh you know evolved into a a a testimony meeting well that's not a prayer meeting very little prayer going on and then by the time i came along they did away with the testimonies because nobody had any and uh (laughs) <laughs> and so it was just a service where it's singing, you know And then uh, we'd split and go to classes There'd be an adult Bible class in the auditorium And everybody having classes and, uh, But they still called it And there's nothing wrong with that That's what we do But we don't call it prayer meeting And then in a lot of charismatic circles People get together and they have what they call prayer meetings But all they do is prophesy to one another And lay hands on one another And it's just, it's a prophesying meeting which, you know, I don't see a prophesying meeting in the New Testament, but they, uh, in some places, that's what uh, a so-called prayer meeting has, has devolved into is, is a prophesying meeting. They lay hands on one another and, and uh, prophesy and give tongues and interpretation of tongues. And, and um, so you can see that purposes can be confused. But in a believer's meeting it is a meeting where we're all together and... Uh, uh, we're, we're the, the purpose of the service Is to edify the church We're not trying to reach the lost necessarily uh, I did point out though That in any kind of service We saw this In prayer meetings In teaching meetings Evangelistic meetings And worship meetings The spirit of God would move In each one of those services, but he moved because they were pursuing the purpose of that meeting and then he moved in in conjunction with that or he moved in a way to complement the purpose of that meeting and uh, I think a lot of times that's why the Spirit of God doesn't work more often than he does in a lot of places is because uh, he can't figure out what they're trying to do and so it's it's hard for the Holy Spirit to confirm anything because He don't know what to confirm they're trying to do so many different things amen. So, uh, you know, uh, we talked about that. And the reason I moved over on Sunday night and picked up this theme is uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night, we had two really great services. I mean, the, the praise and worship was, was just wonderful. In the Sunday morning service, there was just a strong... Uh, sense of reverence and the glory of God The presence of God was just really strong And, uh, and, it, was, and it was wonderful And it was easy to preach after that and, uh, and the Spirit of God moved, you know And we had tongues and interpretation And we had a good service And then we came back Sunday night And oh, my goodness, the worship was awesome Sunday night I mean, just such a sweet presence of God And, and in an environment like that Where we don't have any other agenda We can just go with the flow you would expect that's the kind of service where the Spirit wants to move in different kinds of ways. Well, when he doesn't, and and that's the kind of service he uh, is inclined to move in, well, then uh, why doesn't he? I'm convinced he doesn't because not enough people come with anything, and they're not inspired, and they're not expecting to be involved. See, the, the New Testament uh, doesn't show a church Where just the preacher You know the pastor You know one of the other leaders Does all of the talking All the ministering Gets all the revelation lays, on, You know does all the laying on of hands and, and does everything The Bible doesn't show that Certainly the pastor Has a role in all of those things Certainly the pastor is the overseer of the church He, he, he has directorship of the church Certainly And so he's going to teach and preach a lot but when you have a believer's meeting, the spirit of God wants to move di- through different people. But when the habit is we come together and we worship God and worship God and we just don't have such a presence of God and then we look to the preacher, what you gonna do? And and I mean, I, I, I can teach, I, I can minister, but he wants to do other things, but he can't do other things very readily because nobody is expecting him to do something beyond you know, this line right here. They're expecting the Holy Spirit to do something up here. He wants to do something out there. And we had a service, like I said, Sunday night, where it was just prime. It was just prime for the move of the Spirit, you know, to operate all in the church. But, uh, you know, I saw that wasn't happening. And I gave ample time for that. I mean, I gave, I took plenty of time, just real, you know, didn't get in a hurry. We just stayed in the presence of God. And, uh, uh, and I gave, you know, plenty time for that but we're not in the habit of that and so if the spirit if it's the will of the holy spirit to move in in the congregation and uh no one is really expecting that or you might say pulling on that there's no one with their, with their antennas up, you know, spiritual antennas, you know, I'm talking figuratively, you know, with their, with their spiritual antennas up, you know, to, to see what does the Spirit say. If, if no one's doing that, then the Holy Spirit's fairly hindered. He doesn't really have a lot to work with. And so I took the opportunity then on Sunday night to start talking about believers' meetings. And um, we have this verse of Scripture, a couple of verses here, that we looked at, 1 Corinthians 14, And uh, verse 23 says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, so you can see that's a believer's meeting. And the same thing is true down in verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together? So this is talking about a a church service where the saints just meet for edification. And uh, Sunday night, uh, Sunday morning service, Uh, what makes Sunday what what makes Sunday morning sort of what it is is that we're more inclined to have visitors on Sunday morning than any other time we're more inclined to have uh, of the visitors who do come we're more likely to have visitors who are out of fellowship with God or have not saved never been saved we're more inclined to have that on Sunday morning than on Sunday night you just think about it I mean Churches are closing up right and left. They don't have any. They don't have a midweek service anymore. They don't have a Sunday night service. I don't know if you've noticed that when you come to church on Sunday nights. You know now, of course, with it dark. Uh, when we get here, you know, you drive down the highway, and, and very few churches are having church. Well, if you can't get Christians to come to church on Sunday night, you know, you, you're certainly not going to get many sinners to come. And so, it's if if someone is a sinner and they're just, you know, something stirring in their life and they feel like they need to go to church, they're probably gonna come on Sunday mornings. And we see that. that that's what we see. Same thing with backsliders. Again, people can come anytime. But because we're, we're more uh, aware of the potential needs of the lost when they come, we try to keep the service, you know, geared sort of in that direction Though we don't really have an evangelistic service. You know, I usually preach a message that that... Anybody can, can be helped from and then also give a strong invitation at the end because that's what we want to do. We want to get the lost uh, into Christ, amen? And then Wednesday night is a, is a Bible study, so it's a teaching service. So Sunday night is just a good time for uh, uh, believers' meetings. Just let the Spirit of God move. We don't have time constraints and uh, people are generally rested, you know, from uh, uh, having the afternoon free. And so it's just a good time. And so I want to stir you up and encourage you. When you, when you uh, come to a service that is more designed for something like that, be ready. Be stirred up, praise God. Amen. Amen. Now, there are different kinds of, of ways that the Spirit can manifest Himself. And in uh, verse 26, He outlines a few of these. This isn't an exhaustive list. But verse 26 says How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So he mentions a psalm. Well, then that immediately makes you think of Ephesians chapter five and Colossians chapter three, psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Isn't that right? So I think it would be safe to, to uh, say that he's, he's just Uh, Identifying a few But all of these things would fit in here Because all of these things come by the Spirit of God Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs A teaching Well that would also include uh, an exhortation In other words there are times Someone would just by the Spirit exhort the congregation And uh, not necessarily have a teaching I know Doug Brown A lot of times you know, When when, uh, he'll receive the offering He'll get up uh, uh, in the pulpit He just gets inspired and excited He exhorts the church and it's wonderful it just blesses the whole the whole body, and it's just an exhortation that's given at the, at the spur of the moment. And so we need those things. He talks about a, a tongue. Well, if he's, a tongue, and, inter, and he mentions an interpretation also. Tongues with interpretation is what we're after. A revelation. Uh, he doesn't mention prophecy, but he mentions tongues and interpretation, and the two of them equal prophecy. So prophecy would go in there. Uh, it's interesting that this chapter, chapter fourteen, deals almost exclusively with tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Now, the other manifestations of the spirit are, uh, are, are made, there's reference made to them. For instance, here revelation. That is, uh, uh, even in verse number six, he said, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I either speak by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, by teaching? Uh, So teaching is mentioned a couple of times. Revelation is mentioned a couple of times. But there aren't any instructions in this chapter about how revelations work. Or, or, or how they're to be governed necessarily. Uh, in other words, revelations come by the word of knowledge, by the word of wisdom, and by discerning of spirits, but they're, but they're not identified. The main point of this chapter is the operation of tongues and interpretation and prophecy. Well, I wonder why that is. Uh, could it be? I, I believe it is, but you, you think about it. People have criticized Pentecostal folks uh, by for, for overemphasizing the Holy Spirit and overemphasizing tongues. Well, that's really not a valid uh, accusation because uh, one reason we talk about it so much is we're asked about it so much. And people, it's controversial, so people bring it up. But there's another very real good reason, and that is that uh, you know, sometimes people have, have referred to tongues as the least gift. You ever heard people, you know, refer to tongues? Well, that's just, you know, he says to seek earnestly the best gifts and tongues are, is the least of the gifts and so we're after the best gifts. But the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't like to think of any gift of God as being, well, unimportant because it's the least I, I've often said you know, through the years, I don't care if it's in the bottom of the bottom basement of what God has, I want it. Amen. I mean, if it's from God, it's valuable. Amen. So it's a little uh, arrogant to, to disdain the, the gifts, the, the, the uh, gift of tongues and so forth as being one of the least gifts so not important. Listen, the least little thing God's got is better than anything in this world, better than anything the flesh can put together. Isn't that right? But on the other hand, there is a sense, I think, where tongues is the least gift in that it's the most widely distributed of all the nine gifts of the Spirit. The gift of tongues is the most common. I mean, it's all Spirit-filled people, everybody in the whole body of Christ that's been baptized in the Holy Ghost, they have the gift of tongues. Now, it might be lying dormant in their life because they didn't know what to do with it and didn't know they were supposed to stay stirred up with it. But if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you've spoken with tongues. So the gift of tongues is is way more common and widely distributed than any other uh, of of the other eight gifts. Well, it stands to reason then that there's gonna be a lot of it. And it stands to reason that the tongues and interpretation, because they are distinctive of this dispensation. in, In the Old Testament, there were seven gifts of the Spirit. There were the three revelation gifts. There were the three power gifts. But there was only one vocal gift, and that was the gift of prophecy. Well, in the New Testament, tongues and interpretation has been added didn't exist under the Old covenant. So these two gifts are distinctive of the church age. Well, certainly there, there's a reason for that. And, and if they're distinctive of the church age, then they're gonna be more in, in demonstration than the others. And so you have the, the three vocal gifts of tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. They're supposed to operate more than anything else. Amen. Amen. There, there is supposed to be more tongues, interpretation, or prophecy than there is word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, working of miracles, special faith, gifts of healings. There should be there. It's it would be expected, and it is it is reasonable and 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 obvious to uh, to expect that there would be just an ongoing manifestation of these vocal gifts. Isn't that right? And so Paul had to regulate them. Isn't that right? He, not, he, didn't, he never told the Corinthians that they had something that was wrong. He didn't tell them that they were extreme, that they were, uh, had, had too much tongues. He just said they, they need to regulate it. The only thing he said that they shouldn't do was minister tongues without interpretation. He didn't say we should curtail tongues. He said, make sure it's interpreted or else prophesy. And so uh, if you look at chapter 14, and, and, and we'll take just a minute to look at these verses and I'll show you what I mean. Verse one says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Notice his argument here or his, his logic is that prophecy is to be more desired than tongues because prophecy edifies the church and tongues only edifies the individual that speaks it is that what he's saying? it's exactly what he's saying but now notice what he says in the next verse I wish you all spoke with tongues but even more that you prophesied well, well you can't, you can't uh, ignore the fact that he said I wish you all spoke with tongues so that's, that's a statement that he's saying tongues are good but then he says, even more that you prophesied, why? For he who prophesies is greater or of greater benefit than he who speaks with tongues. Now notice, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now we've pointed out that he's saying that tongues with interpretation equals prophecy. Well, his whole argument in this, in this entire chapter is that prophecy is better than tongues because prophecy edifies the church tongues doesn't unless it has interpretation if tongues has interpretation then prophecy is not better than tongues with interpretation prophecy isn't to be desired above tongues with interpretation. he sem- And see, people not, not understanding these things, they've taught, they've taught that he was criticizing the use of tongues, trying to uh, 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 keep it at a minimum. That's not what, he's, what his point is, is let all things, he says this later in the chapter, let all things be done for edification. Be zealous to edify the church. So, in verses one through five, again, the, the, uh, what he's stressing is that prophecy is better than tongues if tongues are by themselves and they aren't interpreted. And then he goes on and, and builds his case. He says, now, brethren, verse six, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching? Before I go to that verse, before we talk about that, let's go back to verse number two. This is another verse that people uh, who are unlearned uh, wrestle with. It says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. When, when he says, he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God, his justification for making that point, what makes that point valid is what he says next. For no one understands him. Because it is true when prophet, when prophesying, people are speaking from God. But when tongues are given as a message from the Spirit that he wants to say something to the church with tongues and interpretation, that tongues is speaking unto men. Because the interpretation of it proves it. That it's a message for men. Well, is the word contradicted? He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. No, understand why he's saying that. He's saying that effectively. We know verse two is talking about uninterpreted tongues, tongues without interpretation. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God for no one understands him. What he's saying is effectively because effectively No one understands him. It's as if nobody's speaking to uh, to God. They're just speaking to men. Later on, he says, I'll be speaking into the air. Uh, Look at verse number nine. So likewise you, likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Well, wait a minute. He who speaks in tongues isn't just speaking into the air. Not in in an absolute sense, effectively. See, the effect is that you're just speaking into the air because no one gets any any benefit from it. You don't know what it said. You're edified, but you don't know what it says. You don't know what the message was. If God was saying something, you you can't comprehend it. You don't know what it is. So it's as if it was being spoken into the air, But we know speaking with the tongues is a, a, he says, uh, he's speaking mysteries. Speaking with tongues is speaking mysteries in the spirit. Divine secrets. Well, that's hardly uh, speaking into the air. No, it, it has the effect that it's just wasted speaking. But it isn't wasted because the person's edified and he's speaking secrets. Can you see that? So when he says he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, well, he might very well, very well be speaking to men if it's a message in tongues to the church that's going to be interpreted. But if it's not interpreted, it was lost. It's as if you know he 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 wasn't uh, accomplishing anything. He's not spe- he he's just uh, he's just speaking to men, but not to God. Excuse me, He's, uh, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. In other words, uh, he might be speaking to men, but because it's not interpreted, only God knows what was said. Do you see that? Okay, uh, let's go on with verse number six. How is it, brethren, when, you, when I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Then he gives illustrations, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare, prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue's tongue, words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air? In verse number six, there's a key here in this chapter, that people overlook, he says. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, I I have had people come up to me after a church service where we've all been, you know, just lifting our hands and worship God, worshiping God, and and different people around the congregation. Maybe not everybody, but a lot of people are just worshiping at other tongues. We're just, and I might be doing so, you know, from from down front here, and just we're all just worshiping God in other tongues more than once. I've had people. You know, strangers are visiting Come up to me after church and say Well, you know, I, I want to talk to you uh, I think what, what went on this morning was out of order You know I, It's hard for me to imagine What could possibly go on in a service I'm visiting in How extreme a situation might arise That I would feel compelled to go talk to the pastor As a visitor But that's beside the point uh, <laughs> Very presumptuous. But anyway, I've had more than one occasion where people have said, you know, the if scripture says that uh, I would rather speak 10,000 words in, an, in uh, five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. See, they're misunderstanding that when we're praising God, we're not speaking to one another. We're, we're, Paul said, how is it, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, addressing you? But when we're addressing the Lord, it's certainly in order. If it's not, then the day of Pentecost was out of order because they were all speaking in other tongues to the Lord and the people there that happened to know the languages said they were speaking of the wonderful works of God. And in Acts chapter uh, 10 when Cornelius' household received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were all speaking in other tongues and and it says, we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They were all speaking in tongues at once. And then in Acts chapter 19, all of them were speaking in tongues and prophesying. Tongues as well as prophecy, but tongues too. Uh, If it's wrong for everybody to speak in tongues, then like I said, the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell, that was out of order. The whole uh, meeting at Cornelius' house when all the people were there, that was out of order. The, the, the believers there in Ephesus and in, in, you know, in Acts chapter 19 when they were filled with the Spirit was all out of order. Well, that just doesn't make sense. The, the Holy Spirit wouldn't move in a way that he would later come back and, and, and say, you can't do. You can't do it that way, isn't that right? So that has to be talking about something else. No, he said here, when I come to you speaking in, in tongues. That is, without an interpretation. What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching? Then it says in verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them was out, was, is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Well, again, that's only figuratively speaking. Just like he, uh, he does not speak to men to God, but to God, that's, that's in effect, in effect, that is, that's what he's doing. Uh, because he said, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner. Well, it might be somebody you know. Isn't that right? I mean, it, it wouldn't necessarily have to be a foreigner, but it would be like they were a foreigner because you, they didn't understand the language. Uh, even so you since you are zealous of spiritual gifts let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret that's that is those who would speak in tongues it it appears we don't really know but it appears that what was going on in the corinthian church is these people came in and they all sensed the moving of the spirit maybe not probably not everybody, but uh, uh, enough people that it was causing problems. Uh, people were just getting up and sensing the moving of the Spirit, sensing the Spirit of God moving on them. They were, they were uh, whether they were getting up or, or not, but they were addressing uh, one another in other tongues. And uh, that's what he was saying needs to be curtailed, not the tongues necessarily, but how it's used. And um, you could see where that wouldn't profit anybody. You come to service, and and if you have a you know a, a group like tonight, and we had uh, fifteen, twenty, thirty people, just you know just giving messages and tongues and no interpretation. Uh, s- Like I said earlier, when the Spirit of God is moving, if you have a hunger for God and have a hunger for the things of the Spirit, you can pick up on on what the Holy Spirit's doing. That doesn't necessarily mean you should speak it out. You know, I raised the question, if, if only two or three should speak in tongues, why would the Spirit... Give tongues to more than two or or three. Well, it's not so much that the Holy Spirit identifies Iris and Q and Robert and says, now y'all are gonna do the message in tongues as so much as it just... Robert is, is reaching out, he's hungry, he comes expecting, he's prayed in the spirit a lot in you know, that day, and he's just ready, and he, spick, he picks up what the spirit's saying, and the anointing comes on him. Same thing with Iris and with Q, but it could be anybody, and it could be more than three. And he's saying, no, just limit it to three and have one person interpret, either all of them or one interpret each one, you know, a different interpreter each time, and let's, let's keep it that way. At two or at the most, three. Well, like I said, our problem is you know we need to have at least two or three because we're not having we don't have the problem of trying to limit it down. We got to get back into the flow of what God was doing in the early church. Amen. Praise God. So uh, he goes on to say, "What's the conclusion? Then I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit." I don't know if they were blessing with the Spirit, but the indication is maybe they were. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? Now, when we talk about blessing, I think the first thing that comes to mind is saying the blessing over food. And it it would apply there. Uh, When I'm by myself, Sometimes I, I say, you know, grace, I, I bless the food, and I do it in other tongues. There's nobody there but me. He said, you verily give thanks well. You surely give thanks well, but the other one's not in, in, in edify. Well, there's no other one there but me, and I'm gonna get edified. So sometimes I pray over my food in other tongues. That's He said, I'm doing a good job. But it's in, in a company of people who don't understand what you're saying, how can they say amen? Now, I would, I would say that if there's, uh, you know, when, when uh, Brother David prayed over the, the, uh, the offering tonight, he's, he's blessing the offering. Well, you notice he didn't do it in other tongues. Maybe that's what they were doing now, or it, Paul might have just been you know, using this as, as a for example of how extreme it could be or they might have actually been doing that. But it would have been uh, uh, inappropriate and it wouldn't have edified anybody if, if Brother Dave would have uh, said, you know, bow your heads and then he just blesses the offering in tongues and goes and sits down. We wouldn't know what he said. But he, but he spoke in English so that all could be edified. He blessed in English. But you know, if you're with a small company of people, maybe two or three people, and they're all spirit filled, uh, I've done this. I, I've, uh, Brother Hagan even talked about this. He said, it wouldn't be wrong with a you know, small table of people, three or four people, you know, just let's all join hands and pray in tongues over the food. Well, it, you know, we're not trying to edify one another. We're not trying to, we, and, and, and we all believe in tongues and we're all praising God and so we're all having, we're all doing a good thing but the others are not edified but they don't need to be. But in a large setting, you could see where that would be a problem. For you indeed, you indeed give thanks well but the other's not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Again, the 10,000 words in an unknown tongue are uninterpreted words. That's the point. Brother, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. I remember uh, as I was a young man, uh, my mom, when I graduated from high school, she gave me a Schofield reference Bible. And uh, as a graduation gift, and it laid dormant and unused for for you know two or three years. But when I got a hold of it again and started reading, and I'd gotten filled with the Spirit and was going to church, I noticed one of the notes that Schofield had on tongues. He said that undue preoccupation with tongues indicates spiritual childishness, or something to that effect. It indicates church, spiritual childishness, and uh, he, he was saying that. If you speak with tongues, that's childish and it's more mature to get beyond those things. That's really not what Paul was saying. He was saying that the misuse of tongues because tongues interpreted equals prophecy and everybody's edified, isn't that right? In the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people and yet for that they will not hear me. For all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers but those who believe. One, one uh, problem with this passage in the next couple of verses is it seems to be contradictory. It seems to be a riddle that's kind of twisted around that tongues are for, is a sign for unbelievers and prophesying is for believers. But then it says when the unbelievers, when the whole church comes together and unbelievers come in, you're speaking with tongues, they'll think you're out of your mind. What kind of a sign is that? Well, we generally have the idea that a sign is a positive thing, a thing, you know, Uh, we believe in signs and wonders. Jesus performed signs and by the hands of the apostle many signs and wonders were wrought. Generally speaking, a sign and a wonder is designed and, uh, and most often is a positive thing and draws people to the Lord Jesus. It opens their eyes. It makes people more inclined to believe or accept what you're doing or say. But not all signs are that way. For instance, go with me over to Luke. Look at the second chapter of Luke. Verse 25 said, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother, Jesus' mother Mary, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Notice, not just for the rising of many in Israel, but for the fall. He said, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of men, many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And let, Let's take that, that part of that statement out that, that's in parentheses and, and read it this way. And for a sign which will be spoken against, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There are signs that uh, cause people to turn away from God. Uh, And and it's a good sign. I used this illustration before. I, I think it's really good. It has a lot of different applications. If you take a ball of wax and a ball of clay and put it out in the bright summer sunlight... The the one thing, the sunlight, the radiation from the sun will have opposite effects on the two things. The ball of wax will melt and the ball of clay will harden. But it was the same sun, same radiation. But because of the nature of the items themselves, their own nature determined the effect it would have. Well, there are signs, like like in Jesus, uh, he was a sign which was spoken against. They said, crucify him, crucify him. He doesn't deserve to live. And what that did is it revealed what was in man, men's hearts. Well, tongues has this same effect sometimes not, not, all, not on all unbelievers. Because it, it says here that if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are unlearned or unbelievers, will, not they, will they not say you're out of your mind? Well, some of them will but not all of them. On the day of Pentecost, the church was all together in one place and they all spoke with tongues and, and unbelievers came from everywhere. 3,000 people got saved as a result of that sign, but many mocked and said they're full of new wine. Well, that, the sign of tongues made some people think they're out of their mind, they're drunk, they're out of their mind, they're crazy. Well, that's what this scripture says. But not everybody. Some people that got their attention so that they could listen to the claims of the gospel delivered by Peter and they got saved. Do you see that? Therefore, tongues are a sign not to those who believe. And again, these are tongues that aren't interpreted. On the day of Pentecost, those tongues were not interpreted. Now, certain ones... You know, the people there from those different languages, you know, here's one man. He was from, uh, maybe a few of them from one country. They heard somebody speaking in their language and dialect, but all of the other uh, 119 people were not speaking in their language and in their dialect, and they didn't know what they were saying, okay? So on the day of Pentecost, There was a lot of uninterpreted because the tongues weren't interpreted except the people who heard them, uh, and they had they got the interpretation in their own mind, but they weren't publicly interpreted, and uh, so that's what this is talking about. Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there's no interpretation. And there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? Well, that can certainly happen. And it happened on the day of Pentecost. But it's a sign from God for them nonetheless. See, if you go over to Isaiah 28, you see this scripture that, uh, that he quotes in the verse above that. Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28. Verse nine says, whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breast? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, but they would not hear. See, in 1 uh, Corinthians, he didn't quote the whole thing. He just said, with t- men of tongues, other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, yet for all that they will not hear me. So there's an element that it becomes a sign that reveals the, the uh, uh, impurity, reveals, reveals the, the unrighteousness in people's hearts that they would mock the, the move of God, but... The rest of that verse over in in Isaiah says this is the rest with which we may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing. Well, on the day of Pentecost, some people rested as a result and were refreshed, some people mocked. Well, uh, it's designed to do that. Tongues are designed to, that's one purpose for tongues today is to bring people to a decision to expose what's in people's hearts. And and it does. Like I said, I've had them come up to me before, and and, you know challenge me right here in my own church. Because why? Well, their heart wasn't right. Anybody that does that's a little crazy to start with. Go up and challenge the pastor in a church you've never been in before. That's you know anyway. Uh, But if all prophesy and an or now notice verse twenty. If all prophesy or if all speak with tongues and interpret. Wouldn't that be right? Because tongues, unless one interprets that they may receive edification. So if all prophesy or speak with tongues and interpret and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Well, praise God, we need that. Amen. Hallelujah. we 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 saw that prophecy. Let me just uh, say this before we go tonight. I'm getting close to. Uh, no, I've got, huh? I got seven minutes. What that clock down there is wrong. I got six minutes. <laughs> Going by my watch. Uh, it says that he who prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Well, what is edification? These are the hallmarks of prophecy. Edification means to build up, to charge up, to strengthen, to reinforce with new life and to improve spiritually. The gift of prophecy always builds up. So one of the purposes of prophecy is to build up the church, charge up the church, strengthen, reinforce with new life and improve spiritually. It never tears down. It's never critical, judgmental, it always builds up. The word exhortation means to minister encouragement, to motivate believers to fulfill the will of God in their lives. It means to stir up. And the word comfort means to soothe in a time of sorrow. It means the healing of distress, to remove hurt in a time of sadness, to overcome despair. Notice, there's no criticizing, judging, correcting, condemning, rebuking, no confusing, confusing no uh, preaching pet doctrines, no giving directions, no revealing new doctrines, no controlling anybody's lives, any of that. It's edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, what I told you about Sunday night, for instance, that time that I uh, uh, gave that uh, exhortation at church, I called it a teaching Sunday night. After I got home, I thought, actually, it wasn't a teaching so much as an exhortation. Now, I went about it wrong. I was really out of order in the way I did it. But I was, I was very young. I didn't know any better. I had uh, never, I'd read some of Brother Hagin's books, but, uh, or I guess all of them, but I'd never uh, really picked up you know, what to do in a situation like this. Uh, I came to church because I had something I had an exhortation from the Holy Ghost. Now, when I gave it, I wasn't speaking in prophecy because it was not inspired utterance. I had rehearsed uh, what what I was gonna say, but I got it from the Holy Spirit. But because the pastor that we had when I I started coming back to church was a man who knew the operation of the Spirit. And in fact, the first three times I gave utterances in tongues, you know, I I was, uh, or, or, or had the utterance, I didn't give them. And I went to him after the first time. I said, Pastor Braddock, I am so sorry. I had, the Spirit of God was on me and I had a message in tongues tonight and I was just afraid to give it. I mean, I was so condemned. I thought I had just ruined everything. He just said, oh, don't worry about it. The Spirit will give you another chance. Next time, just obey God. I was just condemned, you know. I thought it was over. But I didn't the next time and maybe not the third time. But finally, I, I, I obeyed. I overcame my, my fear, and I gave out a message. And, text, and the pastor interpreted because he interpreted. And uh, but then he left, and a new pastor came. And this pastor was a great man, wonderful man. Not you know speaking uh, disparagingly of him. He was a good man, had a lot of good qualities. But he didn't operate in the gifts of the spirit. And uh, he was a preacher but he wasn't a very inspired preacher. He tried hard, and he worked up a good message, but it really wasn't very often very inspired of the Spirit. He just, he just was not familiar with the ways of the Spirit. And so, you know, I didn't know what he would do. I had the service. In other words, it was my time... And it had been given to me to uh, take up the offering and, and, and dismiss the auditorium for everybody to, go to, everybody to go to the classes. So it wasn't like I jumped up and took over the service. I already had a place. But I had this from the Spirit that I, that I knew the Spirit of God wanted to say to the church. And so I, I, don't, I don't really remember all of my logic, but maybe I thought if I ask him, maybe he'll say no but I really don't remember if I even thought that. I just, I just, see, in our church, when Brother Doug gets up, he's up to take up the offering. He gets inspired and starts preaching a little bit. Everybody's happy with that. It happens, it blesses everybody. That didn't happen in my church. I had never seen that happen. And so I was out of order because I should have gone to the pastor, but I didn't know any better, and I didn't know what to do, so I just did it. I just spoke it out, you know, and uh, fortunately, it was something the pastor agreed with. He was, you know, after just a couple of minutes, he was behind me saying, amen, amen. But what I was doing was exhorting the church. I was out of order in the way I did it. He had every right to, to interrupt me and say, excuse me, son, uh, that's not what I ask you to do. I ask you to take up the offering and then dismiss the, everybody. He would have had every right to do that and, it, and it, he would have been justified before God. But even though I was wrong in how I did it, it was still anointed. Because it's, it did come by the Spirit and it blessed the church. Like I said, to my utter amazement, I looked up and, and you know, all over the congregation, people are just weeping. And, and what I was doing was exhorting the church to uh what does it say here? Uh, to minister encouragement, to motivate believers to fulfill the will of God in their lives and to stir people. And that's what I was doing. And the pastor was all behind it. He, he appreciated it. People came up after church and told me they appreciated it. They came to the altar, had a good time of prayer. And, and uh, so what I'm saying is you can have something by the Spirit and do it wrong. That doesn't mean it's not of the Holy Ghost. Amen? So as a congregation, we have to forbear with one another. If somebody does something that might not be maybe the best way to do it or they're not perfect in it, we have to, we have to look beyond some of the human sides of things and look into, is, is the Spirit trying to do something here? Was the Holy Spirit really trying to do? And if He was wanting to say something or do something, we need to believe that and receive that and not be judgmental. Because now, if someone just, you know, keeps getting it wrong, keeps getting it wrong, and it creates confusion and problems, you know, I would go to a person and talk to them. And if they continued doing it, then I would just have to say, now stop it. In fact, I, I did that. You know, after that, I didn't tell you all this, went Sunday night. But, uh,. I did that that night, and it was glorious. Oh, people were just, you know, it was just a, just a move of God all over the auditorium. So I, I thought, next Wednesday night came, I thought, that worked pretty good. Last Wednesday night, I'll do that again. Wasn't anointed. I did it the next Wednesday night, after the second Wednesday night, and the third Wednesday night, I decided I'll come with something. That wasn't my job. I wasn't supposed to be doing that. And the pastor didn't say anything to me, but I think, I don't know if he sent him, but the, but the music minister, kind of an associate pastor, came to me and he said, now, Brother, Brother Anderson, uh, you really don't have to do that on Wednesday nights. You just need to take up the offering and dismiss everybody to go to class. Even in my thick skull, I realized he's trying to tell me, don't do that again. And so I didn't, but I, I, I did it twice because I had done it before, and it, was, and it was blessed of the Lord, but the other two times it wasn't. So I I learned a big lesson there. And so we have to be willing to be taught. I didn't get my feelings hurt because he didn't really come down on me in a hard way. He just said, you know, you don't need to do that uh, every Wednesday night. And I figured out, yeah, I hear what you're saying, shut up. And so I did and I grew as a result of that, amen? Well, praise the Lord, hallelujah.